0: Today's reading comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning once again. Thank you so much, Pastor Jamie, for just your your kindness and your hospitality and... uh, it's been so good to get to know you and your family and then um, David and Sandy somewhere in the room. Can you wave at us where you got to stay with David and Sandy? There they are. He's like, don't call me out. <laughs> but uh, just I love your church. This is now the second time that I've been able to come back and minister. If you were here in July, I was here with my wife and had the chance to, to share and just open God's word and, and was thrilled when Pastor Jamie said, hey, would you, would you mind uh, coming back and, and sharing some of what you're doing and and bring us into this new year, into, into 2024. And I said, I would be, I'd be thrilled. And uh, maybe you're familiar with this passage over in Exodus 3. If, if you've been around church, certainly you've heard the story. But even if you haven't and, and you've grown up, you've maybe heard some of these, you know, through different movies or whatever, this, this theme of Moses at the burning bush and, and what's going on. And, and uh, you know, we, we were discussing, Pastor Jamie and I were like, okay, what do we, at the beginning of a new year, what if we just you know, psyched everybody up and we had everybody stand up and, and do a bunch of jumping jacks and like, make their vows and their promises for their goals this year, like what we do? Then, well, that's probably not the best idea because that typically doesn't work. Has anybody else experienced that? I mean, I, I don't have the willpower personally to achieve my goals like in my own abilities. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Often in times, that, that's what happens is that our, our goals and all of our resolutions, they tend to fail quickly. And, and it's actually encouraging as we read this story this morning to, to think about the posture of a believer. This, this place that we constantly live in. It's not like we visit this every once in a while. This is really where we live and the power with which we walk in. And like we were singing that song, Lord, make me a vessel that, that you work through is a prayer day by day by day. And so we're gonna take a closer look at Moses' life in this, this interaction with the Lord uh, at the burning bush. And, and I'm gonna share just a little bit with you as we even move towards the end of it, how personally the Lord has spoken to me in this. And I hope that you're encouraged by this as well. If you're familiar with the story, you know God ha- that God shows up to Moses. He has this encounter in this burning bush and God and Moses have a conversation back and forth, and Moses is, is wrestling and he's struggling deeply internally with his own inadequacies and his own shortcomings, his own weaknesses. And when I read this story, you know, as often, pretty much you know, every time we open the Bible, we read the Bible, it actually reads us. We read God's Word, but God's Word reads us. And this story. Reads me and i'm sure as we talk through this today, you'll you'll find that it it reads you as well Let me ask you this question as we as we ponder this have you ever Felt completely Overwhelmed or or inadequate for what god has called you to Have you ever been in that place where you you have this sense, or you just know this is what Obedience to the lord is this is what my role and responsibility is, but I feel completely Overwhelmed and I feel completely inadequate. I'm not cut out for that. Well, hopefully today this will be encouraging to you because everyone whom God calls puts things in front of us that feel way too big, way too big. I'm not cut out for that. I don't have what it takes for that. And Moses is very acutely feeling that sense of inadequacy. So let me just kind of set up the context here. Um, as, you, as we read those first six verses in Exodus 1 and 2, um, Israel, the people of Israel, is growing large. They've been in living within the, the borders of Egypt for a long time, about 430 years. They've grown so big that they're becoming a nation, and so much so that, that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is feeling threatened about the the potential of these people uh, and how they could hurt his power and his his reign. So Pharaoh begins to oppress the people and, and goes as far as having all of the male children killed the moment that they're born. Moses being one of these 40 years prior to this story who should have been killed but miraculously is spared and is saved from it. One day, Moses, because, so Moses miraculously saved, spared, he's 40 years old now. One day, he, he, he goes out, and you can, you can begin to see by uh, reading a little bit between the lines that he's wrestling. He knows, okay, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, grew up in Pharaoh's palace. I have maybe even potentially siblings, certainly friends who were, were murdered, and, and yet I'm alive, and I've grown up in, in the lap of luxury. I'm a Hebrew, and I don't know, I have this dual identity going on. So people are, his own people are looking at him, and how come he got off? And how come he has all this luxury while we're being oppressed and we're enslaved, right? You can feel kind of the tension in the story. And so Moses goes out one day, he's 40 years old, and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave, and this sense of, of calling that God's put in, like you're, he, he knew you're supposed to be this deliverer. And so he takes matters into his own hands. And, and what does he do? If you know the story, he, he kind of looks both ways and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster right in front of this, this Hebrew slave. And he buries him in the sand, thinking that he's done a good thing, thinking that he is serving in, in this, this calling that God's called him to, to be this deliverer, this deliverer of his people. And the next day, he goes out, and, and he sees a couple other Hebrew slaves, and they're, they're arguing with each other, and he, and he tries to jump into the argument and mediate. Oh, guys, what's wrong? What's going on here? And much to his surprise, the response was not, Moses, I'm so glad you're here. Man, we were really hoping that, that you'd help us settle this dispute. That's not what happened, right? They look at Moses, and they go, are you going to kill us like you killed that guy? I, I imagine in my mind, I don't know, I just, I, if, if I was making a movie, this is how I'd make it. Like, there's this big lump in the sand over there with like a foot sticking out, you know? Like, we know what you did, Moses. We killed, you killed that guy. Like, he didn't bury him very well, you know? <laughs> you get to kill us too? And Moses is terrified. Pharaoh finds out what Moses has done. Now Pharaoh wants to, to kill Moses. Moses flees And Moses' life is is in 40-year segments, so this first 40 years. Then the next 40 years, he spends the next 40 years in the wilderness in Midian as a shepherd. He gets married there, has a family, but he's a shepherd. Now, quickly, the the context here in, in Egypt, if you look over in Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, you don't have to turn there, but it says very clearly at the end of Genesis that shepherds are an abomination in Egypt, that in Egypt, they looked at shepherds like they're gross, they're disgusting, they're dirty, they hang out with the sheep all day. It's an abomination. And Moses goes from the extreme of growing up in the palace of the most powerful person in the world to being a lowly shepherd for the next 40 years. And that's what brings us up to this Exodus 3 encounter with God. And as we heard in those first six verses, this conversation begins. Let's pick it up in chapter three, Moses, or excuse me, uh, Exodus 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 10 here. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So now God is saying this is the reason I'm revealing myself to you. Notice, just just quickly, if you look back, and you can highlight this later, how many times does God use the term I or me? Eight times. Eight times God says, I have heard, I have seen, I have decided that this is what I'm going to do. These are my people. Now, Moses, I'm going to send you, In two times he refers to Moses. Moses' response is very Telling and very, very similar to ours. I know that this is true for me. When I read this story, I'm like, I feel just like Moses. The internal struggle. God has come to Moses, revealed himself in, an, in a miraculous, amazing way, said, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this." And Moses' response is, is, "I can't. I can't. What about me? Moses goes on, and what we're going to do is just kind of take little excerpts out and talk about this conversation. Moses goes on to make five excuses to God in this conversation. Basically, Moses makes five I am not statements, and God responds each time with I am. Notice that Moses is focused on who he's not, and God's trying to get his attention on who he is. So what's the first one? Look here in chapter three. Uh, keep reading there in verse eleven. But Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt?" And he said, "But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." So f- Moses' first "I am not" statement. Essentially, what Moses is saying. He, go- he goes, "Who am I? I'm nobody." I am not influential. The first, I am not statement. Moses is like, hey, you know the whole shepherd. Remember the shepherd thing? How shepherds are a disgusting abomination. You, God, clearly, you don't understand Egyptian culture like I do. I am not influential. Why would you pick me? I'm a lowly shepherd in in Midian, a long ways. I'm not. I'm not influential. I'm nobody. And God's response was, (laughs) Moses, it's not about who you are or who you're not. I am going to go with you. I will be with you. I'll give you a sign. So Moses' first excuse, his first reason is, I'm just not influential enough. God, I can't do what you want me to do. I can't take the steps of faith, ultimately, in just trusting and obeying you and what you're going to do. Notice God never said, Moses, I want you to go do this and this and this, and then, and then make sure you take care of this and make sure you take care of that, and I'm just going to stay here and then come back, and I want you to report back to me in a couple of years how it went. God didn't say any of that. God said, I am going to do this. And Moses responds with, but I'm not. I am not. I'm not influential. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, well, if the people of Israel come to me and say, They say the God of your fathers has sent me, and and they ask, Well, what's his name? What am I what am I supposed to say? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said to this people of say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses' next objection here in verse 13 his next I am not statement is I'm not knowledgeable. So first of all, I'm not influential. I am definitely not the guy with the power or the position or the title. Like, you got the wrong guy. I'm not influential, and I'm, I'm not knowledgeable. What if they ask me questions about you or, uh, that I don't know how to answer? I don't have the knowledge. What if, what if I get in a corner and I'm not sure what to respond? And this is where God says, listen, you tell them that I am has sent you. If we wanted to, we could just camp right there and drill down and and explore for a long, long time about why God identified himself as the I am. And I would like to point out the connection over to Jesus because Jesus actually refers back to this. In in John, you you see Jesus make seven I am statements that are directly connected back to I am, this mention of I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Jesus was saying, You know that I am who revealed himself to Moses? I am. That's why they were so upset with Jesus in many, many different cases because they, he was claiming to be one with God. He was claiming deity. So God says, I am the eternal, no beginning, no end, timeless, almighty. I am the one true God. So understand in Egyptian culture, they were, they were what we call polytheistic. They, they worshiped many, um, many gods. They had a God for this and a God for that. And, and you see as, as uh, the story goes on, that God begins to take aim at each one of those Egyptian gods. He starts out by saying, I am, I, you tell them, I am who I am. The eternal, ever-present, almighty I am. And Moses still wrestling in his own inward self, but I'm not influential and I am not knowledgeable. And God says, but I am. I am everything you need. Now skip over to chapter four. Let's just kind of move ahead here in the story. In verse one, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Moses' next excuse, his next I am not statement is, is they're not gonna believe me. I am not credible. God, I am not influential. I am not knowledgeable. I am not credible. You've got the wrong guy why are you calling me to do this? Why, why are you, what, are you, what are you thinking? God's response, what's that in your hand? And this, this is almost, it's comical because Moses already knows the thing in his hand was his shepherd's staff. He's holding a shepherd's staff. And, and he's like, but this is what disqualifies me. They think that shepherds are an abomination. What's in your hand, Moses? A shepherd's staff let's go with that. Oh, no, they think shepherds are gross. That's why I am not your guy. I'm not influential. I'm not knowledgeable. I'm not credible. And God says, what's in your hand? This shepherd staff. He says, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. Moses freaks out, runs away, as would I, as probably would you. But it's interesting when you understand, why would you turn the shepherd's staff into a snake? Because a snake symbolized power and life in Egypt. And later in the story, when you see the confrontation between Moses and and Pharaoh, he throws his staff on the ground it turns into a snake again. The two Egyptian magicians do the same thing, but the snake of Moses rod eats up the other two. God is decisively, definitively showing his almighty universal power and dominion and authority and reign. See, Moses thought that Pharaoh was the most powerful ruler, person, had all this power. God's like, Moses, I'm greater. I am greater than all of that. And he's showing him piece by piece he goes on to say, Moses, put your, um, put your hand inside your, your cloak. He puts his hand in. He goes, pull it out. He pulls it out. His hand is white with leprosy. If you know what leprosy is, leprosy was an, an incurable skin disease in Bible times. There was no known way of, of curing this, and leprosy was, was a problem in Egypt that they had no answer for. He says, put your hand back inside your cloak. He takes it out, and it's completely well. What God is saying to Moses is he's saying, I not only have power over over Pharaoh, I have the power to heal. I have the power to deliver. I'm not saying you have to do this, Moses. You don't have the ability to do this. What I'm saying is, is I'm going to do it and I want you to walk in faith and I want you to trust me. I'm gonna show my power through you. Moses still wrestling but I'm, I'm not influential, I'm not knowledgeable, I'm not credible. You've probably already begun to see yourself in this story here. Look over here at verse 10 in chapter 4. But then Moses said, "Oh Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. This one gets me. This one gets me. I, I, the other ones, I'm like, certainly all of them. And there might be one of these that you're like, that's really what I wrestle with right there this one is what gets me. I'm not gifted. I don't have what it takes. I see other people that have those abilities and that giftedness, but God, why would you? I can't even speak before people. You want me to go talk to, to Pharaoh and I can barely get a sentence out? I don't have the gift. I don't have what it takes. That's for somebody else. And God responds by saying, Moses, I'm the one who gives people the gifts and the ability to do these things. You're not trusting me. You're too focused on your own in- inability, your own inadequacy. I want you to trust me and what I can do. I'll give you the ability. I'll teach you what to say. So Moses still wrestling internally. I'm not influential. I'm not knowledgeable. I'm not credible. I'm certainly not gifted. There's no way I can go do Among all these other dynamics, you can imagine what Moses, the turmoil that he's wrestling with internally. And then down in in verse 13, this is is Moses' final response in chapter 4, verse 13. But he said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) That's kind of funny, right? Like God's answered all of his questions. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do this. Do all these miraculous things. Like I'm not saying you do this, Moses. I'm saying I'm going to do it, but I'm going to work through you. Make me a vessel for you to work through, right? God's answered all his questions. He's assured him of his power, his presence, and his provision. And Moses just goes, can you just send somebody else? And, and it says there in 14 that the Lord was upset. He was angry with Moses. And there's a reason because of Moses' fifth, I am not statement. It's, it's not I am not not influential, I'm not knowledgeable, I'm not credible, I'm not gifted. It's all of those things are things that we just, we wrestle with as people. Like, I just don't have what it takes. I'm I'm way inadequate. I'm not up to the task that you've called me to. But this last, I am not, there's there's a different response from God here. Because Moses' fifth, I am not statement is this, I am not willing. I'm not influential. I'm not knowledgeable. I'm not credible. I'm not gifted. But really, when it all boils down to it, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to take a step of faith. I'm not willing to, to step out of my comfort zone. I'm not willing to get out of the boat, and, and I'm not willing to, to walk in faith and trust you. And this is the crisis of faith that so many of us we struggle and deal with because we're under the weight of these, these inadequacies. I'm not adequate. I'm not adequate. Somebody else. Don't you ever find yourself like that too? Like, I just hope that somebody else will do what you know God's called you to do. Somebody else will disciple your children. Somebody else will, will take the lead. Somebody else will fill that, that, that leadership role at church. So just send somebody else and maybe you feel the spirit tapping you on the shoulder saying, I, I, I want to work through you. And you're, you're wrestling with all of the same, but but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. If, I, if I'm very, very honest, church, I'm saying I'm, I'm sharing this with you in light of my own story and my own excuses, my own internal struggle. If I'm, if I'm transparent with you, I've spent a lot of my life Battling inadequacy and insecurity and doubt, and lack of confidence, feeling overwhelmed, afraid, past failures, like, just like Moses going, I've already botched that. Don't send me back to that. I'm good where I am. I'm comfortable with just the ordinary and the obscurity. And because of all of those things, really, God, my answer to you is I'm just not willing. I don't want to. I am not it's so easy to focus on our own inability instead of putting our faith and our trust in God's ability. And that's kind of the, the, the key thought, the big thing that I, I want to encourage you with today is this, that if you, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like I'm not up to the task, I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes. First of all, you're in great company. <laughs> anyone whom God would call and says this is is what I'm going to do through you, you should feel overwhelmed because you don't have the ability what God, what he puts in front of us is bigger than us it requires us to trust him overcoming inadequacy is a journey of faith in God's limitless ability just like Moses the key to overcoming inadequacy is not a self-pep talk. It's not going, no, 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 no. I do have what it takes. I am good enough. I, I can do this. It's not psyching ourselves up, pumping ourselves up. You don't need someone to come give you a pep talk about how great and how awesome you are. That's not how you overcome inadequacy. You overcome the fears of inadequacy and the lies that the enemy uses to hold us down by fixing your eyes on God's limitless ability. I want to just discuss in the time that we have remaining, uh, thinking out of this story, how does, how does this land on us? There's, there's six truths that come out of this story that are still so applicable to us today. Today we look back at Moses through the finished work of Jesus Christ, through everything that he's done for us. And it's okay. It's okay to to struggle. Every one of us do, and it's okay to be honest about that. It's okay at times to be like, "I really feel afraid and overwhelmed." I promise you, if you were to ask Pastor Jamie, Jamie, do you ever feel like do you feel like you're always on top of it and always cut out and like, "Man, you got this?" He's like, "No way." Man, the calling of God does it not just keep you on your knees in complete dependence? That's the way it's supposed to be. Here's the first truth. God calls you to join him in his work. I pointed that out earlier. Eight times God says, I'm going to do this. This is my purpose. I have seen, I have heard, I've come down, I'm going to move. And Moses is like, but I can't. And God's like, I don't remember saying anything about you in this. God calls you to join him in his work. You see, his work of redemption, this, this story... of of Moses is part of a long history that scripture shows us of the plan of redemption of God. Moses played a key role in God's redemptive plan for humans, broken, sin-fallen worlds. Jesus completed that. We still serve God in this same plan of redemption. And so we're not in the same spot as Moses, but we're still human beings. We still wrestle with the same internal inadequacies. And the first big thing to remember is that it's not your work. It's God's work. God's the one who does the work. He's the one who saves. He's the one who redeems. He's the one who restores. He's the one who does what we cannot do. He's not calling us to try to control uncontrollable things. He's calling us to step in faith and to trust him. The way out of this this fear-binding inadequacy is to to focus on God's limitless ability. The story is not about what Moses was doing. It's about what God was doing. Here's here's a key. This This is so helpful to me. And I love that we sang that song earlier. God works through willing, obedient, humble, faithful vessels. He works through willing, obedient, humble, faithful vessels. There's no rock stars in the kingdom of God. Have you noticed that? I don't have what it takes. That makes you the perfect candidate. We think that's why I'm disqualified. I'm not qualified for that. I'm not adequate for that. And God's like, just just stay right there. That's good humility because you're right. You're not but trust me, walk in faith. Don't, don't believe the, the lie and the fear of inadequacy, but, but put your faith and your trust in me. The God who sends us is with us every step of the way. He calls you to join him in his work. The second uh, truth is this, God's not concerned with your inability. You don't see in any of this interaction with Moses, God going, oh, yeah, I didn't think about, yeah, you're right, Moses, I didn't maybe, you guys, maybe is there somebody else? God's like, I, I'm not concerned with your inability. In fact, your inability is the very thing that I want to show my glory through. It makes you perfect. It's not about our glory, it's about his glory. He chooses to use the weak things of the world to show himself perfect and strong. So if you're like, but I'm afraid and intimidated, and I lack confidence, and I'm not influential, I don't have position and title, and I don't have credibility, and I don't have a degree, and I don't have I don't have all of the uh, I don't have all the tools and the gifts. It's like, yeah, you're probably the exact person that God wants to work through. He's just looking for someone to walk in faith and to trust Him. Over in 1 Corinthians, we see this. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, shepherd, Moses. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human might boast in the presence of God. It makes you the perfect candidate. It requires you to draw near. It requires you to abide in Christ. It keeps you on your knees. That's the normal life of a believer. And that, I promise you, that's what Pastor Jamie walks in week after week. That's what the elders of the church every week. It's not that they're just these superhuman, super Christian rock stars. That's not reality. Everybody's beset with this. Some people just go, I'm deciding to believe God. And my faith means I'm going to step and I'm going to act because I believe. Here's number three. Number three. This is so helpful for me. It's okay to do it afraid. Fear has a, 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 like a paralyzing effect, right? When we have all these unanswered questions, we have all these like, I don't, well, what about, and I'm afraid of what if people reject me and what if I don't, yeah. I'm afraid, I feel fear. Therefore, I'm not gonna do anything. It's totally fine to do it afraid. You will feel fear. In fact, faith is not not the absence of fear. Faith, people of great faith, you know some of those people who you're like, man, that person is just a, a superhero, a giant in the faith. How do, they, how do they walk in so much faith? It's not that they don't ever feel fear. It's just that they don't let fear dictate what they do. That's what faith is. Faith is, is overcoming inadequacy. It's, it's putting our eyes on God's limitless ability. And, and number four is this, that God's calling always requires faith it's okay to do it afraid because the calling of God always requires faith it's impossible without faith it's impossible to please God and you see this over in in this um, Hebrews 11 passage faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not yet seen for for by it the people of old Moses being one of them received their commendation and without faith it's impossible to please him For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Go back to that that verse one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You might have memorized that. Maybe if you grew up in children's church, you're like, faith is the, and this is the way I memorized it as a kid. It was like New King James. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And doesn't it sound so awesome? And you're like, but I have no idea what that actually means. It sounds really great. Faith is, seeing something with your eyes closed in here before you see it with your eyes open. Faith is believing and seeing with the eyes of your heart before you see it physically manifest in reality. When you can see and you believe the promises of God in here, you will walk it out, and then you will see God do what he promises he will do. That's how faith Works. God's calling always requires faith. This fifth one is, is so good. This is Moses. God uses ordinary people. Well, we live under this illusion that I, I have to be this rock star. I've got to have all these gifts. I've got to be influential. I've got to be credible. I've got to have all my ducks in a row. I've got to have all knowledge. I've got to have all the right gifts. And God's like, I would rather just work through ordinary people who recognize their need for me willing vessels humble faithful that question that god asked moses you know he's asking us that same question today what's in your hand because we we believe this this is what keeps us in the place of of the fear of inadequacy what's in my hand is not enough I need something else. I need, there's something that I'm lacking that I don't have. And God's like, it's already in your hand. You've already got everything you need. The biggest thing you need is you, you're gonna need me because I'm gonna do what you cannot do. But you don't need something else. You see, if we, if we convince ourselves that we need something else, there's always something else to need. I need, wanted this. Okay, then you get that you're like, ah, but I don't have enough Bible knowledge. I need that. You get the Bible, not Yeah, I just don't have enough people skills. Well, I need that. And what you'll do is you'll go on this round and round thing. Of course, there's a time for preparation and training. But you'll always come to that line where God's saying, hey, what's in your hand is is what I'm going to work through. So what's in your hand? Is it a wrench or a pen? Maybe it's a stethoscope. Maybe it's a, a steering wheel. Moms, maybe there's a sippy cup in your hand, right? You've got what you need. It's in your hand. He does extraordinary things through ordinary people. The the irony in this story, this is, is, I can't help but just laugh when I think about this. As humans, we would think, okay, if we're going to go overthrow Pharaoh, Pharaoh's got all the money, he's got all the power, he's got this army that's like unbeatable. It's kind of like Alabama, right, man? those guys can't be beat, but, but here come the Wolverines. I couldn't, I couldn't help but go there. Sorry, guys. I am so excited, <laughs> especially that my daughter goes to Michigan. Man, it's been a long time coming. All right, back to God's word. Pharaoh, he, he seems like invincible, and so in our humanness, we would think, well, here's what we got to do. We got to build a bigger army. We got to have more money. We've got to overpower Pharaoh. And God's like, how about I send a shepherd with a, with a rod in his hand? K- Picture this. God takes down the superpower of the day with one guy, literally a dude with a stick in his hand. Is that not kind of funny? Because God does not need us. He doesn't need our power. He doesn't, he's like, I'm not worried about any of that. Yes, you, you don't have what it takes. And in fact, that's actually the last the last key to the truth of, of rising above inadequacy is this that Jesus is adequate. We we think. Man, if I'm ever going to overcome this, this fear of inadequacy, what I've got to do is I've got I've to convince myself that I am good enough and I do have what it takes and I've got all the or I'm going to obtain all of it. And the truth is, no, that's, that's not. Overcoming inadequacy is, is a journey of faith by just fixing your eyes on God's limitless ability. This is so kind of counterintuitive but it's one of those upside down kingdom principles like to be great, you got to serve, to receive, you got to give, to live, you got to die, to be free, you got to surrender, be, to be exalted, you got to get low. I mean, you know, you know those kind of kingdom principles, things that feel like they're backwards? Here's the thing about inadequacy to overcome inadequacy, you have to admit that you're inadequate. It's not psyching yourself up and trying to convince yourself you're not. It's fully embracing your humanness and your humanity and going, I am inadequate. I don't have what it takes. Man, when the Lord helped me see this, it set me free. This church, if I can just share with you, I'm 44 years old now. Most guys plant their churches in their 20s. It took me 44 years and a lot of prayer and a lot of affirmation for God to go, Jeremy, would you just get your eyes off your own inadequacy and stop being paralyzed by fear and just trust me with what I want to do, okay? And so kind of in this like trembling, like, okay, I'm just gonna take the next step and I'll tell you the truth. I honestly feel that day by day. I'm like, I'm just gonna take the next step of faith. I'm terrified. I'm super excited I'm anxious, I'm wrought up, I feel overwhelmed, I'm super excited. Oh my gosh, that person, they want to be involved. Oh, well, the, oh, I don't sleep anymore. I mean, all of that, right? And God's like, I want you just to take one step of faith at a time. And it's what I'm going to do. This, this story of Moses, um, it was a couple years ago. I went for a walk with God just in my, my devotions one day. And I had, I had been reading this. My devotions brought me to this. And I remember just going, God, no. And in my head as I'm reading this, I'm like, I am just like Moses. And the Lord just that day, I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than I walked out and I was, I was wrestling with all of these inadequacies. I'm not, I'm not influential. I'm not knowledgeable. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the credibility. I don't have the gifting. And God's like, but are you willing? And, and I knew if I answered no that day, what I would be saying is, God, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. It wasn't even about me anymore. It's not like when you, when, when you learn to walk in faith, all of your fears magically disappear, and all of a sudden you've got all this like confidence. It's, it's more, the more realistic version of it is you just resolve to believe God and just to walk in faith. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. We learn to just live there. It's not about us. It's not about our ability. Overcoming inadequacy is a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. So in just the few minutes that we have left here this morning, I want to pray before we take time to to worship the Lord in communion and have some time to respond. But maybe it's, I'm not influential, I'm not knowledgeable, I'm not credible, I'm not gifted. But if you put all that together, at the end of the day, you're hearing the Lord speak in your heart this morning, and you go, you know what it really is? Is you're not willing. You're not willing to take a step of faith. You're not willing to step out. You, you, it's easy to hide behind our own inadequacies. The journey of, of faith is overcoming inadequacy. Maybe God's been calling you to reach that coworker and you're like, he's way smarter, she's way smarter. She can ask me questions I don't have the answer to. That's okay. When that happens, you say, that's a really good question. Go do your homework, do your work. And say, can we come back and talk about that later? Maybe he's calling you this year in 2024 to step up into kids ministry and to serve the next generation. You're like, I don't know the Bible. We'll help you. (laughs) Maybe there's a small group. He's like, I want you to lead that small group. I just want you to start serving. Maybe there's a, a person in your life who you've not been able to forgive. And God's like, this year, that's going to be a thing of the past. I'm calling you to forgive. But I can't. I, that's right. That's right. You can't. In yourself, you can't. But through me, through Christ, you can do all things. This one, this one hits really home. Um because one of the biggest things in our culture, and we feel this really deeply, is, is dads, when I say, or when Pastor Jamie says, we should be the spiritual leaders of our home, there is an immediate sense for most fathers of inadequacy. Like, I, that's, I'm not, no. And it's way easier for fathers to just withdraw into passivity and to go, I'm just gonna work hard and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay the bills and I'm gonna provide for my family. That's me being a good father. And then when pressed with spiritually leading your kids, we, we react either by, by flaring up or by shutting down. Both of those reactions are rooted in inadequacy. And until we come face-to-face, dads with this, like, I am inadequate. I'm not adequate to spiritually lead my family. But God, you've put that in front of me, and it's my responsibility, it's my calling. Don't be afraid of it. Just step. And, and wives, I would just, I would ask you, please be really sensitive. If, if you feel like your, your husband, the dad has struggled in this area, just be his greatest cheerleader. And as he faces his own fears and his own inadequacy, just be like, you got it. That was so awesome. Even if he botches the scripture and the prayer, like, that was great. <laughs> because he already feels an overwhelming sense of inadequacy. It's just like Moses. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. So here's what I'm gonna do. I've gotten good at my trade. I've gotten good at my job. I'm just gonna stay here where I'm comfortable. Like Moses, I'm in the wilderness going, I live in obscurity, I'm a shepherd, and I'm good. And God's going, but there's so much more I wanna do through you. Oh, but I'm not. Man, I wanna challenge you today to overcome inadequacy by fixing your faith on God's limitless ability. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be confident. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to feel like you got it all figured out. You just need to be a willing, obedient vessel to just take a step of faith. And it works that way with everything in God's purposes, though. There could be many, many more. And, and I would, I would love to just take a moment today and, and pray together. I'm sharing with you a bit of my own journey. Like I'm planting a church. Like, are, are you sure, God? Are you sure? Because I lack so much and I'm so weak and I'm so broken and I don't, I don't have what it takes. And, and, and the Lord's just been like, yep, 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 yep. I'm gonna give you what you need. I just want you to trust me. Overcoming inadequacy is a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. Let's, let's just take a moment and pray before we respond here. Lord, I, I trust, um, there's, there are so many things we could talk about And this strikes deep for each person that we wrestle deeply with inadequacy and the fears that the enemy uses to hold us down. And you've called us to rise and to be free. You call us out of that as your sons and your daughters. You free us from that. And you free us not by psyching us up or about how great we are, but it's just when we look to you, Jesus, and we fix our eyes on you and we focus on you and we say, I want you to be glorified. And I don't, I don't need anybody's affirmation. I don't need anything else. There's not some other thing that I need. If my wife affirms me or critiques me, it doesn't matter. I'm fixing my eyes. Jesus, all that I need is in you. I'm just gonna rest there and I'm gonna take steps of faith and I'm going to trust you. And Holy Spirit, that is different for every person in the room, what that calling is. I pray this year as we are on the the verge of 2024 that this would be a year of, of just breaking out and, and great steps of faith. And when we walk in faith in your promises, God, you are glorified and you do exceeding, abundantly above all we ask, think, or imagine. I pray that for Harvest Lakeshore this year. Thank you, Father, for Pastor Jamie and his, and his family and his leadership and the model of, of a, a humble man of faith that he is. I pray that that would grow in this church. In Jesus' name.